the biggest challenge of starting anything in my life is that I start things and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm that girl. I jump into the pool and I go, oh, yeah, I don't know how to swim, but I got to get to the other side. <laughs> OK, let's go. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I interviewed Deborah Koenigsberger of Noire Blanc NYC and Hearts of Gold. Here's what Betsy bober Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about Deborah. Deborah Koenigsberger has experienced every aspect of the fashion world, from modeling while a college student studying in Paris, to working in clothing shops, to ultimately opening her own business at the age of 29. Much of the inventory for her stunning, beautifully curated women's boutique comes from France and Italy. Pulling from outfits to dress a businesswoman or elegant attire for an evening affair, Deborah personally works with each client to ensure that they leave looking as professional or glamorous as the event requires. Thrifty Hog, which stands for Hearts of Gold, is a nonprofit organization that caters to homeless women and children. Following her passion for wanting to help others, Deborah opened this shop two doors down from Noire Blanc. The shop sells gently used clothing and other home goods to raise funds for homeless women and children, while also providing them with job training and other assistance to help them transition out of the shelter system. Over the course of 25 years, items from Gap to Gucci have been dropped off. After listening to Deborah, there is no doubt that you will want to look through your own wardrobe and head to West 25th Street to donate to Thrifty Hog. When Ellie and I asked Deborah what she attributes her longevity to, her immediate response was loyal customers. And it was certainly easy to ascertain after spending only a few minutes listening to her why she has this following. She's a true inspiration. As Deborah describes it, Noir Blanc and Thrifty Hog are so much more than clothing stores. Her customers have become her family, her community. So, Deborah, if I could start by having you introduce yourself and telling me the name of your businesses, please. Okay. So, my name is Deborah Koenigsberger. I am the owner of a women's clothing boutique called Noir et Blanc, which is my French boutique. And then I am the founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Hearts of Gold that I started in 1994. And when did you start Noir et Blanc? I opened it in 1989, so okay. we just celebrated 30 years of that and 25 years of Hearts of Gold. And what did you do before you started your businesses? So before I started my businesses, I started in the business of fashion modeling when I was younger, and then I worked for different boutiques and different businesses, and then I became a partner in another boutique, and I climb every rung on the ladder, as you can see. So, and then I went from that to opening my own store. Did you grow up in New York? I grew up in New York, but I wasn't born here. I grew up in the Bronx. I was born in Jamaica. Came here when I was uh, 10, almost 11 years old. And been here ever since, with the exception of when I studied abroad. Went to NYU, and then after senior year, moved to the city and never left. What made you decide to open your own business rather than staying working for other people in other boutiques? So I decided to open my own business because my partnership kind of went awry and I just wanted more freedom and I wanted to just try it myself, you know. And, you know, I've never, like, looked back and regretted it. It just allowed me to have the life that I want and to be able to run my own nonprofit, which I would not have been able to do. If you could start by describing the space, please, because it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. So Noir Blanc is my dream store. 
it has become my dream store. I started out with a desperate attempt to just find a way to work for myself. And when I went to school in France, there was a little boutique called Noir et Blanc, and I could not afford anything. But I would go in there all the time and touch the beautiful clothes. And for modeling, I always wore like beautiful, beautiful fashions, and I, I couldn't afford them. I was a student. So I thought, God, if one day I have a store, I'm going to call it Noir et Blanc. So here we are. That's how it got its name. And I decided to make it a reflection of the style that I have. When I started out the store, I was trying to just sell what I thought people would buy. But I would wear something else. You know, I'd wear the things that I really loved to wear. And my customers would always say, yeah, I like that, but I like what you're wearing. You know, and I heard that so much. I'd say, yeah, those pants are $40. My pants are $90. And they would say, well, I would buy them. Like I said, I knew nothing getting into this, right? So I was like, oh, I can sell pants for $90. then." they would rather have my pant than the $40. That's how I kind of came to what the store sells now. It's a style that I like, that I think is you know, elegant and, and simple and with a twist and very French. I, I used to, for a short time, I lived with this French woman and she was the ultimate in style. She was so beautiful and so mm-hmm. chic. And she would, when the, the doorbell would ring, she would come downstairs and the UPS guy or whoever was delivering something. And she had just a small table by the door and she had lipstick on it. And she would look in the mirror and put her lipstick on and check her face before she would take the mail. And I thought, oh my God, really? But it was so interesting. For French women, fashion is, a, is in their DNA. It just is. And I wanted to bring that here. So I graduated from my first store to this space that I'm in now, which was a, formerly a um, Korean nail salon. And it was all mahogany pressed wood everywhere and, you know, all the foot baths and the rooms with all the different services they provided. And I thought, okay, we're just going to tear this all down and start over. And as we started to take the store apart, we uncovered marble from the, you know, original marble. We uncovered this ironwork that was so beautiful. And we just kept uncovering and discovering things. And we thought, oh my gosh. And so with the whole French idea in mind, I got some old French tiles and we did this whole trompe ceiling that we've installed. And all I cared about when I walked in, I remember the first time I thought, high ceilings chandeliers, because that's what <laughs> I wanted, um, which I couldn't have in my other space because it was low ceiling. And so I thought, okay, if I can have my chandeliers, we can make this work. And so I got the help of two young guys who were so on fire and so creative, and we put our creative ideas together. And so the store is a store built out of love. It certainly wasn't built out of money because we didn't have the money to put together to this at that point, which is like, okay, what can we afford to do and make it fabulous? And, and they were both genius. And so I definitely had ideas about what I wanted the store to represent and what I wanted it to look like once I imported all this beautiful merchandise from Europe. And I wanted a French woman living in New York to want to shop here. That was my goal. But people walk in here and nine and a half out of ten people that walk in the store they always say oh my god it has such a great vibe you know and they can't it's indescribable and so many people have said it and there's like there's such good karma in this space i think that's probably what i felt when i walked in the first time i thought this will be my dream store and it's great because women come in and they're literally like okay build my wardrobe for the season and and have so much fun doing that. That's my favorite part of my work is actually styling a woman and just making her look so fabulous and she walks out of here just like glowing and you know, then she'll email me or text me and say, oh my God, you know, I was the head of the meeting and I did whatever. And just making people feel really good. You know, everyone has their thing and I think that's my thing from being dressed for so many years by designers 
even though I didn't really know it, I guess I was paying attention or absorbing it somehow. You know, what style and how clothing is cut and what fabrics mean and, you know, all of that goes into dressing the woman who comes in the door. I, 65 plus percentage of the merchandise that, that's here comes from Paris and Italy. And I just love it. I walk in here and I feel like I left my first home and I came to my second home. And everybody that comes in here, they feel really good and they come in and we, we just hang out. And, and in that hanging out process, we find beautiful clothes and beautiful items. And I started a year and a half ago with shoe collections because my clients used to then say to me, okay, now I'm all dressed. What am I putting on my feet? And then I would spend time looking at the different shoes with them and advising. And people have said to me over the years, why don't you just carry shoes and then we don't have to do anything. We don't one stop <laughs> shop, right? So I started with a few collections and it's been amazing. Like the shoe collections are so beautiful. They're all Italian made, incredible leather. And the response has been incredible, like really, really great. So we've continued with the shoes. We have accessories. We have Chandler's beautiful jewelry collections I carry also from Italy, handbags. And yeah, it's a fun place to be. And I always want people to come in here and feel really good and welcome. Could you speak more and maybe give some examples of your relationships with your customers? I'll tell you a funny story. So I have a customer, Susan, and people call me a hurricane. They have not met Susan. (laughs) So last winter, snowstorm, and she lives on Long Island. And she calls me and she's like, Deborah, I'm pulling up the car. I'm not getting out of the car. I don't have time to get out of the car. I have to go to this event downtown. And what I'm wearing, I just found out. And what I'm wearing, I'm in the city. I can't go home. So she said, so figure out what I'm wearing and bring it to the car, right? So she's sitting in the car. She pulls the car up in front of the store. And I go through and I pull together an outfit for her. And she's like, and you have my credit card and fast to just charge it, whatever it is that I'm wearing. So I, you know, do as I'm told and I get her outfit and I bring it to the car and she goes off and she texts me later and she goes, I look so fabulous, a lot more fabulous than a lot of the women here. So just want you to know, she goes, and sorry for that crazy rush by, but I was in a panic. I didn't know what I was going to do. All of a sudden I get called that I have to show up for this thing and I am in the city you know, totally casual and had to go to the thing. So that describes kind of the relationship I have with that kind of thing happens. I have customers who've left New York and they move to other states and I still, you know, season after season, we pack up stuff and we send to them and we send them pictures and we're like, okay, I've got stuff for you that, you know, and they're just like, send it on. And sometimes I'll just look at a garment and I'll go, hmm, that's a great thing for X. And then I'll just call them and go, I have something you need to come in for. And they're like, okay, all right, I'm coming. And A lot of my customers over the many years have become more than customers. We're like family. It's it's really beautiful because I I remember when my store closed on 23rd Street and I put up the sign, you know, store closing and a friend of mine, a customer, came in and she looked at me and she was crying and she said, Deb, are you kidding me? What is going on? And I said, what? She goes, are you going out of business? And I said, uh, no, I'm closing the store, but I'm moving. She goes, oh my God, I didn't read the rest of the sign. I just saw store closing and I was freaking out. And that's my friend Liz Schimmel, who's been my customer for, we literally, we met through the store. We went through pregnancies together. As a matter of fact, her husband used to say to her, don't go see Deborah anymore. You always come home pregnant after she is. Because I would be pregnant and like a few months later, she would be pregnant. And this happened to us. <laughs> so he would say, you can go to Noir Blanc as long as you just don't come home pregnant. <laughs> And, you know, and to this day, she's lived in China. She's lived in San Francisco. She was actually the head of, and I'm going to completely butcher her title, but of Condé Nast Asia. And she would shop here and wear my stuff to all the big shows in Europe. And she would be like, 
I am the best looking thing here. And it's incredible. Now she's back in New York and you know, we, we celebrate our joys and our, our sorrows together. You know, my mom passed away, everybody was here and it's become such a, so much more than a clothing store. You know, it's about relationships and I'm, I'm a relationship person. So it's really special. It's really special. And my customers know that ultimately they represent me. So I'm going to make them look their best because when they go out, people are always saying, where'd you get that? And that's how I get referrals. Mm -hmm. And this store is more of a story than a store, you know? Manhattan was a place where there were many, many, many options. It was all small stores, individually owned, run, you know, maybe somebody had two stores, but certainly not six, you know, on every corner. And the shoppers used to come into New York because there was flavor here. You know, you'd walk out of my store and into another store and it would be completely different and beautiful than other things. And I mean, I used to shop myself. You'd go to Soho or you'd go to a different neighborhood and you'd walk around and there was so much to choose from. And here it's all gone. That boutique that sells multiple brands, that outfits to customers, it's all gone. It's all these stores owned by one brand that have 45 satellite stores around and there's no flavor anymore. There's nothing that's just, I think that our stuff is really interesting. People know that when you buy something made by trans, it's gonna last you 20 years until you get sick of it. It's not gonna fall apart. And I believe in quality. So, you know, you'll spend a little bit more, but it'll last you 10 times the time that it would take you to buy something online or, you know, and, and quality is super important. And a lot of designers have sold out. They just have. The stuff is made in all kinds of crazy places and you're buying a label and you're not buying quality garments anymore. It's sad for the fashion industry. I think what's happened is the business has killed itself and people who are looking for something that's different, interesting, they don't find that anymore in these stores, you know? And, and so people walk in here all day long and they're like, oh my gosh, like you have beautiful things. Wow, the quality is so great. People who don't know the store. And they'll say, oh, give me a card. I have to come back here. Wow, finally, people use words like, I finally found a new store. I finally found my new store. Like I've been, you know, I used to live in Blah and there was this boutique and then they closed and I haven't been able to find another place to shop. And that's the person who shops here. Anybody who wants some help with styling, anybody who wants something that's interesting, anybody who wants something that's gonna last them for a long time, and anybody that wants some real customer service. And it's an environment, it's a whole experience. It's not just walk in, buy something, leave. On the note of people finding you by word of mouth. Do you use social media as well? Do you have a website? What are some of the other ways that you get people in the store? So because I'm 99 years old, this whole social media thing for me is new, but we're figuring it out. So we have a website, but we don't sell from the website. We, you know, we have Instagram and we post pictures so people can kind of get an eye flavoring. We're a small team. I have myself and my manager. So it's not like we sit here all day long and post on Instagram. We're too busy to do it, but we do keep up. We have a Facebook page. People actually come in and say, I found you. I was looking for boutique in Nomad or Flatiron, and that's how they found us. So there is something to that whole social media thing. I'm sure that there's probably more we could do with it. So slowly we're learning what all the new things are. The only problem is as soon as we learn something, there's something newer. And you're kind of like always in this learning curve, in this learning curve, you know. But yeah, so we do our bit. 23rd Street was a major cross street, so people used to pass the store all the time, coming and going, you know. So we have customers from New Jersey and Westchester and because all of the subways and the buses. So we have customers from all over simply because, you know, the neighborhood is so busy, 23rd Street was. And so now that we're on 25th Street, which is a little bit calmer, the great thing about where I'm located is that it's very open. 
and it's you can step outside the store and see the park, you know, which I love. The neighborhood has changed a lot. Now it's extremely upscale. The rents have gone through the roof. There are all these new buildings, you know, with penthouses that are millions and millions of dollars. The who's who of who's who is living here. We have an event in August for the moms and kids. For the kids, actually, it's for the back to school. We call it our back to school block party. And the kids come and we have all these tents set up and it's a we close the block for the day and it's a Saturday and they get to shop quote-unquote shop for all their school supplies and backpacks and stuff and we've been doing this now for oh seven eight years and last year Chelsea Clinton was walking through on her way home and stopped to ask what it was about you know what we were doing Tiffany Haddish was there the year before like people walk through all the time just all these people that live in the neighborhood and you know you kind of see it's it's changed so so much from when I opened here in 1989 so so much beginning with the park that initiative cleaning up the park and so of course the real estate around the park has become so much more valuable it's the place to be it's the place to eat you know dining and lots of trendy little places with weird names that you know <laughs> funny but all of these new businesses and these startup businesses are all flooding the area but it's great it's great to see that the neighborhood has grown it's great to see that that it's been cleaned up. I mean, when you pay, you know, a hefty rent, you really want to feel like you're in a neighborhood where you, you know, you're paying that rent for a reason. So it's changed and it continues to change. And I like a lot of what's happening. I miss some of the old stuff, but not much. It's a great neighborhood and, and I love being here and, and all the things that are happening are really cool. You Did know. you know that you wanted to open the nonprofit when you started the boutique? I had no idea about starting a nonprofit. I had no idea about starting another business. Once I opened my store, I thought this was gonna be it. The nonprofit came about because of my addiction to Stevie Wonder, actually. So I'm like the street sleeper, scalper person who sleeps outside of wherever he's performing and buying tickets for every night, you know? So in the early 90s, he did his Conversation Peace Tour, and I was at Radio City seven nights, third row, listening avidly. And I heard this song, I just heard the words. I always hear his words. Stevie is a messenger. If you really listen to the words that he's speaking, it's like a Messiah kind of message. And he's always caught my attention ever since I was really young. And so these words said to me, you know what, you can do something about the problem. If you don't, you're kind of a part of the problem. So I grew up doing a lot of community service. My parents always did community service. It's just kind of the way we were raised. So it wasn't a stretch for me to go find something to do that I wanted my business to give back to because I was having some good success in my store and I thought, okay, so I want to give back something and not just take from the community. So that's how it started. I went looking for a place to volunteer. In all of this, I also met Bobby Brown, the makeup artist, and I met her before she became Bobby Brown. I met her um, on vacation in Florida in Club Med. And we just kind of struck up a conversation and she was like, you know, I'm in makeup. And I said, I'm in fashion. And so she said, oh, I'll come see your store when I come back to New York. So she did. And we had a talk and she thought, you know, and she said, okay, so you're a stylist. Why don't we do something together? Because up the street from your store is a shelter that houses homeless mothers. And she said, you know, you can come talk to them about fashion and what to wear. And I can talk to them about makeup and I'll give them product. I've been working there for a while, donating my time and donating product. Cut to like six months later, she's in Bergdorf Goodman and she's really Bobby Brown. <laughs> so that was really interesting. But we did it. And when I decided to like launch this thing, she was my first supporter. And once I went to that shelter and discovered these moms and kids, it was just like, wow, this existed four blocks from where I live and I had no idea. 
So I lived on Madison between 32nd and 33rd. My business was on 23rd between 5th and 6th. So, you know, it was my beaten path. Madison Square Park, which was then a heroin den crazy place. It was my park. That was my park. So I had little kids. It was my park. And uh, you would, it was so scary. Like we would go in there, you know, do a little run on the swing and get out of Dodge before evening fell. But in that park, there was a woman and her daughter, the three-year-old, and they slept in a cardboard box. It just blew my mind. I didn't know what that meant. You know, I grew up in the Bronx. Nobody slept on the streets in the Bronx. People might have been poor, but I'd never seen a person sleeping on the street. You know, and I wasn't sure what her story was. Um, eventually struck up a conversation with her only to learn that she had been molested in the shelter. So she was like, I'm not going back into a shelter. I'm going to take my chances out here, me and my daughter. And, you know, I would come on my way to work. I'd bring her food and stuff every day. And then one day she just completely disappeared. and I never saw her again. And so even though she physically left, she motivates me every day to keep going. You know, her just the memory of her and that little girl. And I always hope that they figured it all out and that they're happily living somewhere and, you know, having a good life. So a lot of things made me start Hearts of Gold, and none of them had to do with me thinking that I was going to start a nonprofit at all, ever. And the mission is to help homeless women and their children who find themselves in this position to reimagine their lives in a world where they are not homeless, where they are empowered, where they have shelter, where they have food, where they can be self-sufficient, manage their lives, and have normalcy, right? So... That's the mission and purpose of the organization. And I know from experience that education is ultimately the most important and if not only leveler of the playing field, right? Because when you know better, you do better. And a lot of these women who find themselves in this position, a lot of them are domestic violence. A huge percentage of the women we serve come out of domestic violence situations and they just don't think of themselves as being worthy. Nobody ever told them that they had value. And so they drank that other Kool-Aid and then they found themselves in this position and now they are homeless and they're in a shelter and they're receiving you know, public assistance. And it's just not a lifestyle and they don't know kind of how to unwind all that. So for us, Hearts of Gold's purpose is to help these moms through education and their children to make better choices and to give them options, give them options. So we have a program called the Fresh Start University and the Hearts of Gold Fresh Start University is about educating the moms about life and real stuff and giving them job skills. So we have a store called The Thrifty Hog and The Thrifty Hog is our very upscale, beautiful secondhand store that's very much consignment quality at thrift prices. And I made the environment really beautiful to work in because I want them to come to work feeling like they're in a space that's, you know, it's a part of it, right? So you work in a beautiful place, you walk in every day, things are nice and wonderful and you feel like you're in a good space and that makes you feel better. So the store serves as a training ground to build job skills for them. And before they get their internships in the store for which they're paid a living wage, they go through our university program. We do job assessments, we do career assessments. They go to the university classes, which helps them to finally figure out what are you good at? What are you meant to do in your life? We all have a skill and to help them like unearth that and know what it is. So that's the thrifty hog. And we're really, really fortunate. We get a lot of beautiful things donated. I have friends who are celebrities that donate things. I have my women's clothing store, Noir Blonde, my customers. Once they're done with their merchandise from here, they pass it on to Hearts of Gold, to the Thrifty Hog. So the stuff is really, really beautiful. It's super well curated. If I wouldn't buy it and wear it, I'm not selling it. 
So when you walk in there, you feel like you're in a boutique just like in my regular boutique, and that was the idea. Do you see a lot of crossover in the customers where you have people coming both here and there? And if there are differences, what are the differences between the customer base for each so location? I think, so for the Thrifty Hog, we get a lot of students because there's FIT and all the schools around here. And the fashion schools love thrift stores because then they go and they take things and dismantle and re-put things back together. I have customers that shop here and that shop there, and they'll say to me, okay, take me over to the thrift store and find me something great. So I do a lot of styling. And there's not a lot of difference between the woman who shops here and the woman who shops at the Thrifty Hog. We get a ton of tourists. I think they look up thrifting in New York and they find this area because we get an inordinate amount of tourists. And they come in and what's beautiful is I literally have had people shop from Australia who then months later somebody else comes from Australia and said, oh, my friend was here from Australia and she said I had to come to this shop. And so people tell people about the store, which is, it's so interesting and it's beautiful. And they love the story of what it means, what that store stands for. So if they have good stuff to give away, they want to give it to us. And if they want to buy stuff, they'd rather buy it from the Thrifty Hog, which is really, really heartwarming. So in the Thrifty Hog, we sell men's, women's, children's. We sell some toys. We have books. We have housewares. And we have small decor items. And all of these things, I mean, I cross shop all the time. Like sometimes my customer will say to me, what's that? What are you wearing? Where'd you get that? And I say, thrifty hog. <laughs> like, well, you know, because we get such beautiful things donated. We have shoes, we have beautiful accessories and jewelry. So it's really great because the people who donate to us really want to have impact. So they donate beautiful Louis Vuitton bags. And I mean, we get amazing things in that store. And so we also have the moms come by when they need something or they need something for the kids. And so they have access to the merchandise as well. And it's lively. We make it fun to work there. We have rules and they have to stick by the rules because it is a working environment and they were teaching them that, you know, so they can take those skills out there. But the moms who work, they really have a good time and they learn a lot. Programs are run. We have two new locations that we're actually moving into at this moment as we speak. Both of them are in churches. One is in Harlem at 119th Street and Fifth Avenue and the other one's on the Upper West Side at 108th and um, Central Park West. The Fresh Start University, we started down here because in our thrift store we have a mezzanine, and so small classes are held there for the moms. But we've just expanded, so we're moving up to this church. What are your numbers like? How many people have been through your programs? So right now, and counting, we're at 33,720 and counting. Wow. Moms and kids, yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, pretty cool. More than pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, and and just great stories along the way and just lives, you know. Moms get a lot of job skills, inventory, sales, merchandising, customer service, the biggest one of all, right? How to deal with people, how to talk to people, how to show up, kind of. Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges of starting a nonprofit? The biggest challenge of starting anything in my life is that I start things and I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm that girl. I jump into the pool and I go, oh, yeah, I don't know how to swim, but I got to get to the other side. Okay, (laughs) let's go. I'm not a ponderer. I don't sit and think about what if and if I, I just don't. I just kind of jump. I have an idea and I run with it, not advising it to anybody who's like, it's not the best way to go about it. But you know what? For me, that's how I kind of learn by doing. And that's just who I am. People say, you know, where do you find time to do all this? And I say, well, I don't find time. You take the time to do things you really want to do. And then you carve it out, right? You figure it out. So once I'm involved, once I'm engaged, once my passion is in charge, you know, it's not about me 
making decisions. It's just like, okay, this is what's going to work. So we're going to try it. And you know what? I've fallen down and I've gotten up and brushed myself off. And I'm fortunate to have good people around me and mentors who help me to kind of go, okay, let's try it this way. And so what I've learned in 30 years of, <laughs> of having my own business is that you're always learning. I'm always learning. And that's the beauty of it, you know? So I'm never stuck in one place. I love challenges. So if you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it better than anybody else because that's just who I am. So Hearts of Gold for me represents making these women's lives better than they've been and as good as my life and giving them the opportunities. And I think the biggest problem challenge they face is just having access to opportunity because I have access to so much just from connections and people I know and I'm a college graduate and I've studied in Europe and I've traveled and I just know a lot of stuff. I've been educated in so many different ways. My parents were not. They didn't graduate high school. They did not have degrees. They did not have careers. They had jobs and they worked really hard for as long as they worked. But they were smart enough to know that that did not have to be my path as well, right? So they made sure my brother and I were educated and they pushed us. It's the immigrant story, right? You come, you learn, you make it better for those who are coming behind you. So failure was not an option ever. I never saw failure in my family. So I think that's the key to my quote unquote success. I am a dog with a bone and I do not let go. What are your goals for your future? Oh, my goals for my future. Wow, that's a big one. So more than for my future, I would like Hard to Go to have a future. I would like it to be an organization that's around, you know, in 200 years. And I hope that by that time there will not be this homelessness. But from what we're seeing, the numbers just keep rising every year. And it's really like nobody's priority, right? Because we could fix this. You know, but it's just not a priority. Politicians say one thing, they do nothing about it. It's a way to get a vote, and then once they get voted in, they don't pay attention to the problem. They don't recognize that human beings are sleeping in cardboard boxes. They don't recognize that letting a mentally ill person free out of the hospital and you know having them sleeping on the streets, it's inhuman. Somehow, inhumanity has come the way of doing business, and we just kind of look at what's ahead of us and what's right in front of us and what's ours, and then we forget about them. And that's sad because the them are humans and the them have a right and the them should be taken care of. And I would not like to think of myself as mentally handicapped and just being let out on the street because I'm 45 and you can't hold me there. Yeah, you can. You can. You can change the laws. You know, people who are mentally ill don't get to decide, you know, that they want to leave the hospital. Yeah. So I think for the future of the organization, I want it to be an international organization that helps this population all over. People ask me all day long, do you have one in Detroit? Is there a hot to gold in just different countries? It's a problem that's international. It's not just here. You know, I never used to see homeless people when I went to school in Paris. Now they're all over the place. And we travel extensively. And the problem is just, it's gotten a little out of hand or a lot out of hand. So, you know, we need to focus and we need to refocus and we need to rethink about the way we're treating other human beings. So I would love that to be the work of Heart to Go for this, for this particular population, homeless moms and their kids, because they're so vulnerable and it makes no sense that a mother and a child should sleep outside, you know, and brave the weather, whatever that is, in a cardboard box or in some kind of inhumane circumstance. I mean, for someone to get molested in a shelter, that makes no sense. I mean, think about that. And you will have given so much to so many others. I get so much. You know, they say to whom much is given, right? So 
I was always given a lot and, and it was never material things, but I didn't know that's what people counted because that's not what we counted, you know? So we always counted that there was a lot of food and there was a lot of family and there was a lot of love and, and that nobody was ever allowed to not have home. Like my parents, you know, I went to NYU and all the European kids who didn't celebrate like Thanksgiving, for example, right? So my mom would say, how many people are coming home? And, you know, I'd say, all my friends, all right, who's going to the Bronx? And we would get on the graffiti-filled subways and take the number five train up to the Bronx. And, you know, I still have to this day French people who will, and town people write to me and say, I discovered Thanksgiving in the Bronx at your mother's house. So that's what we thought a lot was. My mother always said, there's always, there'll always be enough food. So for me, that was enough. Like, whenever you had enough food, you had enough, you know, and so you shared that. And hunger is not just for food, right? So we were never hungry. We were never hungry for love. We had everything we needed. And those things, you can't put them in the bank. So I think that I just, I'm a product of my family and upbringing and culture, and I'm happy to be able to get up and give it, and I will keep giving it as long as I'm, you know, blessed enough to get up and do it. I would just like to ask you, maybe even in conclusion, to just address your longevity, and clearly it's, it's you as a person and as a salesperson, but it's also the loyalty of your customers because of the internet and access to shopping anywhere in the world mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. You're, you're here, you're a women's boutique on a side street in New York City for 30 years. That's just incredible. So, so I think my longevity, the, the reason that I'm here for so long is because of the word trust. I think customers know that I'm here and they're gonna be able to find what they need when they need it. And they also know that they're not gonna see themselves coming and going, right? So there's nothing worse than buying a Prada dress and showing up at an event and somebody else is wearing that same Prada dress after you spent so much money on it. So for me, it's always like, we're gonna put you in something that you're gonna look amazing in, but nobody's gonna have it on. And that's the appeal for my customer. My customer also does not comprehend the whole idea of spending a lot of time buying things that they can't touch, feel, see, and know what to do with, because they require styling which is, I think, why we're successful, is that we style our customers and we say, okay, you know, wear this earring and I would wear my hair up for this and here's the shoe that's going to go and here's the color. I, every morning when I'm leaving home, I see the doorman and, you know, all the packages that are coming in, right, with all the different names of the different online sites. And I wonder to myself what happens to all this stuff. I joke with my doorman all the time and they go, yeah, Deb, Tonight, you're gonna to see these same boxes going back. It comes, it goes back, it comes, it goes back, you know what I mean? And the internet has kind of taken over in so many ways. My key to keeping it going, alive, different, is that the things that I sell, you cannot buy online, first of all. Two of the collections that I sell that you can buy online, one, it's a Dutch leather company, you have to pay 35% importation tax to bring it in yourself. So it's gonna cost you on average upwards of $200 more if you bring it in yourself. So nobody's gonna do it, right? Similarly, the other company that sells online, it's all the same. They have to bring it in through customs and deal with it. So my customers is not interested in doing that. I think we are a family and people come here because there's a loyalty to that. I think they also love that what we represent is not just a consumer kind of thing. We do good work in the community. People come in and we talk about, you know, I know when we were all waiting for our kids to get into college. And so, you know, we kind of 
rally around each other and you know we celebrate together when you come in and oh my god you know they got into this school or that school and just like life things you know i have customers who have literally come back to the store after not having been here for 20 years to say okay so my son or daughter is getting married and i have to buy the dress here so fit dress me you know they live out in jersey or wherever and they're like i don't get dressed up anymore i'm never in the city but you know you've known my child since this and i wanted the dress to come from you so there's there's so much more than just shopping that happens here and I think that's what people love. And I think just they recognize that we really work hard, you know, here and, and they want to see us succeed. You know, I think it's really lovely that people care enough to want us to, you know, still be here. Everything I do is kind of an extension of who I am and what we do. And whether it's the store and we're family or we're families with the families who are in the shelter, there's a lot that goes into every day and, and I get to do it. I'm lucky I get to do it and I love doing it and I hope I always get to do it. And that's for me where this all ends, you know, it's the day when I can't do this anymore and I will have been happy that I got to do it. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you're interested in learning more about this business or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, www.sideways.nyc and follow us on social media at NY Sideways. See you next time.